This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. For health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114. There's a phrase we often hear that goes, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, sometimes the village you thought you'd have is much smaller and shaped differently than you imagined. Single parent and blended families are more common than ever. Today, we see all kinds of family dynamics. Raising a child can be difficult under any circumstances. Without a 24-7 partner to ease the load, the stakes are higher. How do you manage the special challenges single parents experience? It can be hard and lonely. And how do you raise a happy, healthy child? All of this can result in added stress and fatigue for all involved. And where do you turn to get support? Hi, I'm Jessica Rowe and welcome back to the Navigating Parenthood podcast, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. This episode, we're talking with a woman about her positive experiences as a single mum and how she's managed to develop a good co-parenting arrangement with her ex-partner. And later, we'll talk to Lydia Black from Psych2U, a psychologist and season expert, to give us a little clarity over things brought up during this episode. Let's get chatting. We've got a lot to cover. Our guest, Joe is a mum to three teenagers and a stepmum to a 25-year-old. She has a busy life as a journalist, TV and radio personality, and on top of that, she tries to give each child the individual care and attention they need. A challenge, especially when the teens all go to different schools. Joe, you have such a wonderful story and a Aww. life to share. You do. Where I'd like to start is tell me about your family. Tell me Aww. about your kids and the setup. Oh, I get goosebumps. Just it's nice to be asked that. People don't generally ask you that. Okay, so I am in a wonderful, wonderful position. I have um, a gorgeous stepdaughter who's uh, 25, as we said, who's been in my life since uh, she was two or three. And then I have two 16-year-olds, boy-girl twins, and I have, ah, to die for the love of my life, 14-year-old daughter. Now, your Mm ex-husband, when did you get divorced? It's almost been 10 years. So the twins are 16 now and we divorced pretty much the first term that they started kindy. So they were only five. So at the time I had three under five and I was a stay-at-home mum at the time. So it was pretty drastic as in I went back to work literally the next week because the finances changed overnight. How was that for you? Because I imagined you had an idea in your mind about how life was going to be, how your family was going to be. I still say, and I have to really consciously put myself into this mindset that I'm not living my plan B life. I'm going to cry. That my plan A life didn't eventuate. And that still makes me sad. 
So you have to actually, you know, consciously think, okay, this isn't my plan B life. Yeah, obviously it didn't work out the way I anticipated. And that's still raw. As you can see, I didn't think it was so raw, but it is. I, I don't want to share all the details, but I was hurt very badly in the worst possible way. The family I dreamed of was taken away from me. And I, and I, I think Keith would be okay with me saying that. So how old were your kids so at this point? The twins were five. Um and the youngest was three, um, and my beautiful stepdaughter. That was another. That was probably the greatest sadness of the entire divorce. Was she was ripped from me too, and even the puppy dog we shared, Lily. So I lost a lot. I felt like I lost a lot, and I think that's when I probably made the active choice that Keith and I still operate as a family. We. St- I was at the beach with him yesterday. Um, but we- how did you get to that point? Because in those early days when the kids were little. What did you say to them? Because I'd grown up in that family where no one had split, I was very concerned. In my mind, children from split homes, and this is so naive and I'm ashamed to even say this, were going to struggle in life. I felt like, oh, my God, what future am I giving these kids? They're from a split home now. That just is defining in itself. And I remember making a really conscious choice was, okay, so these kids are already split that word split family, which isn't as bad now, but I feel like even 10 years ago it had far weightier tag to it. I need to do everything I can to make sure these kids' lives are not even more adversely affected. I need to do everything I can to make their life less stuffed up than I've already stuffed it up, for want of a better description. Which you didn't stuff up. I know, but that's how I felt. So so I thought I have to make this house absolute open door for my ex because no matter how angry I might be about certain things, he has to want to walk in this door. You can come in here whenever you want. You come and see these kids whenever you want. And that was at first before we decided our actual permanent arrangement. And initially we had this awful situation with lawyers. I'd never felt such anxiety because I didn't understand the language. And also too, this is at a time in your life oh, where already, you are so stressed you're and so busy, anxious. You're not sleeping, you're and trying thinking, to read, do reading folders and work full time and keep your lights on. And like, it's just the most overwhelming time. So Our settlement is literally on a piece of paper that was ripped from a book like this. We sat down on a park bench after a year of toing and froing and he, I just looked at him and said, what do you want? And he said, what do you want? And we just sat down. It's literally five lines. And was it a calm conversation? It had got to that point after we had both been, I think, scared out of our wits by the threats that the lawyers sort of present to each other that wasn't really our own voice. So they made us sound angrier than we were. And at the end of the day, it's about the negotiation. Okay, so what do you actually want from this and what's going to make you feel safe? And even if you can't stand your partner at that time in life, you need to say, well, what do you want? And just be able to really get to the heart of what is scaring you. And for me, the scariness was... I'm going to be alone 50% of the time without children. I've based my whole life on being a mum. And he was kind enough, and I mean that, he was really kind enough to recognise that I was not going to cope without the kids. You know, I wasn't a parent that could do 50-50. So was this all pretty much nutted out in that park together? Yeah. It's literally, you get the kids this, we'll split the house this, and this is this, 
and credit to him, those kids are well looked after. But I think you don't give yourself enough credit. I mean, the fact that you and your ex were able to sit down together in that park, I still think that's and there an was extraordinary so much hurt image. There. there really was hurt there. And I, this was not a mutual, amicable, we both want to leave each other, let's tie this up nicely. This was the most pain, extraordinary pain. When there is so much anger, resentment, hurt, how do you manage you that, do Joe? It. You do it by looking in your kids' eyes, knowing that they are, as I said, half of their dad. There are so many amazing things about him and obviously the things I fell in love with and the things that you are attracted to in the first place that it's very easy if you if you can wipe out the pain and hurt and that it's not something you can just wipe out. I don't mean that, but... That you need to, to move to past separate. that. And I think I applaud you for doing that. I think about my parents who divorced when I was nine and both of them did the same as what you did, Joe. Right, they they wow. never badmouth one another. Yeah. So even though now I know the background and I would you have found it, it when you get older, very difficult yeah. to, to have been able to keep my mouth shut, but both of my parents did and I'm so thankful they did that oh, because it means... because look at you. Yeah, I mean, really, look yeah, at you. But it yeah. means, though, with both of my parents, I have a really good relationship and I look at them both now and I wouldn't have that relationship with them if they hadn't divorced. Yeah. So in a funny way, I know there is. It was. And again, I don't want that to be sounding glib to people who are in the midst of all this hurt and pain and thinking, no, I don't want my life like this. I want it to be back to where it was. But but I'm so thankful for how both of my parents were grown-ups as as you are. There are so many silver linings. I mean, I think about Keith and I holiday together. We went on holiday to Hawaii for his 50th together and he brought his girlfriend. You see, I find that... We're on the same flight together. Let's just pause for a minute. So 10 years after this time, you then are going on holidays with your ex but and his girlfriend. And his girlfriend. I know. Do the two of you have different parenting styles? Definitely. But on the main things we agree. Were there moments, though, where it wasn't perhaps as straightforward as it sounds? Oh, yes. It takes a lot of work. You both have to put your individual jealousies aside. So for me, my jealous point is other women parenting my children. You know, I think it's a mar- your role. Yeah, taking your role. And because motherhood is the, for me, the priority role in my life, the one I chosen above all else. But I look at other women's career and I think, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? And then I go, oh, yeah, of course, you you wanted to be at home with your kids, you know, and, and that possibly couldn't have happened. And, and COVID has taught, if it's taught me anything, is that I'm really happy at home with my kids. So I made the right choice. And can there be anything better than that, I think? No, I, absolutely not. Like we were playing Monopoly on Saturday night and, and I just, I'm in bliss. It's amazing that you can create people that then become your favourite people on the planet. Like literally I enjoy their company above all others. So another thing that you've made a really conscious choice about is how you parent your kids. Mm. It's very different to the way you were brought up. I grew up with, um, in a family of eight kids, five of us were girls. We all looked the same. We all ducked our school. We all played instruments in the orchestra. I played the oboe, one played the French horn, one played the clarinet, one played the trumpet. Like we just... We're like the Von Trapps. And people would see us. Dad was the local doctor. He's still the local doctor, bless him. Um, and 
it was like we were all one and the same. And I, I loved that as well because we were really, oh, they're the Casamento girls or whatever. Um, but what I've realised, I thought I had the most idyllic upbringing and I really did. I cannot say a negative word about it. And, and, and we talked earlier about how that possibly made me naive because I didn't have any examples of when things can go pear-shaped. But as much as I loved my childhood and I think my mum did the most amazing job, obviously, mother of eight, one thing I realised when I started parenting, because possibly because of the divorce, so I was in a different situation to my mother. Obviously, my mother had stopped work to raise eight kids. So just first and foremost, circumstance changed the situation. And I really struggled with that. I probably struggled more with being a working mum than the divorce, to be honest, because I didn't have an example of that before me. Again, that whole concept of, and I'm showing my age here, and things have changed so much, even between, even within my own family, the younger four have a different experience of, of that journey. So how old are you now? So I'm 46. Um, so I was on the cusp, and Jess, you're probably a little bit the same, where the older three girls and our husbands, the men were still the breadwinners. It was expected the women stay at home and feed and cook. And yes, you know, we'd all gone to schools and as I said, ducks and had university degrees and expected to work, but we weren't given an example of what that would look like because our mum was a stay-at-home mum. She was there with a cup of tea at four o'clock every afternoon and a piece of cake. And then we'd, you know, she'd do homework with us and cook dinner. And so I had that difference. So then that was my role modelling that I wanted to emulate. But then I'm in an office at four o'clock in the afternoon, sneaking out to pick them up, dump them somewhere and get back to work and pretend I haven't left the office at all and not home till eight o'clock and then doing bed, bath and dinner at nine o'clock at night thinking, oh my God, they're supposed to be in bed by 6.30. Like this isn't what it's supposed to look like. I think when I naturally started parenting, even though I thought I would parent like my mum because it was so perfect, I actually did the complete opposite. I really want, I noticed, and I really think you notice this with twins, it is not what you do. It is who they are because one, you know, you can have the same breast milk, one hates it, one loves it. Same cots, one sleeps, one doesn't. It's nothing you do. And you're doing exactly you're the doing same exa- thing. They've got the same environment, the same, you know, split house, the same whatever, and they're complete opposites. So I learned very early on that it is not anything I'm doing because I thought as a stepmom that I was so amazing that I had this perfect stepdaughter because of my beautiful salami sandwiches cut up every day for lunch. <laughs> and I realised later that she was just a fantastic child and with or without me and that was always going to be her. And so my own kids are so different. It's amazing they come from the same genetic pool. The, the three of them... The twins are so opposite to each other. They're Librans and I, I sometimes think they're half of each other's personality. You know, one's one's a deep thinker, one's as light as, as they come. One's great at um, maths, one cannot add up two and two. One loves 70s music, one is into hardcore rap. Like, they're just so opposite in every single way. And then the, th- the younger one, she's just a completely different... Um, animal altogether and she's amazing and thoughtful and she'll do my ironing when the two twins are so lazy. Like they're just so different and they've all been raised in the same house. And so what I really wanted to do as a mum was nurture each of those individually. And I realised early on that because when we first were choosing schools, as I said, I wanted it to be Catholic. I wanted them to go all together and I wanted them to be at the same school. I learned within three years at that 
local primary school that they all had different needs. Um, so I, I'd moved them quite early on and as hard as that then made my life, I knew it was for their for the best for them and I've always let, my kids have led me 100% of the way in terms of what they want to do and who they want to be. So Joe, going back to when you and your ex-husband, when you split mm-hmm. up, the kids were little. How was it that you told them? Did you sit down with them and explain that their dad suddenly wasn't going to be around? I don't think we ever did that conversation, (laughs) which probably sounds really silly. No, we never did the movie. You see it in the movies all the time. Our split was quite... um, was it gradual? It did was he, gradual. Did was he like, eventually leave? Do you know what? It's, it's only now that you've asked me and I've had to actually really retrain my brain to go back. And I remember thinking this consciously at the time. I am far more of a slowly let the Band-Aid wilt away so you don't even notice it coming off. Their environment didn't change overnight. They were still in their same routine, same school, same beds. You know, he probably even came for dinner still. I still, and there's, a, I think it was that was the open door policy when I sort of made that really conscious. No matter how I'm feeling about you right now, you need to be able to walk in and open this fridge and pull out a glass of milk if, uh, you know, anytime you like. As I said, just because we're not under one roof, we are still family. We are still family. We are still living, breathing organism that's still growing. Like it doesn't stop on your divorce day. You're still going to be in each other's lives forever. Weddings, grandchildren, and I want to still be walking up an aisle with him with our children. I don't, why would you want to take that away from yourself? Because if you put those hard boundaries in, you're just setting yourself up for a life of, and I see it, I see it even with my own very close, you know, people close to me that are divorced and still angry and, yeah, their husbands might have done this or, yeah, their wives might have done that and that's just awful and I can understand your pain but... Why would you want to write yourself out of your own children's happiness? Because for me, I have FOMO. So <laughs> if they're at my in-laws for Christmas singing karaoke, you I want to be hear there. about it. I want to be there. <laughs> and if that means I have to be nice to the new girlfriend, God damn it, I'm going to be nice to the new girlfriend because why would I write myself out of my own kids? Because that was the biggest fear I had about divorce was that I'd miss out on all those Things. So why would I want to not be at that party or not be at that dinner, that graduation dinner or whatever? And do you think then that's helped too with remaining connected with your kids? Because have there ever been times when your kids have been angry with you or with their dad yeah. about the situation and why have you made this happen to us? No. And I actually asked the girls before I came in here today. I think particularly for a boy, they really need their dad. They really, really do. There's a there's a stage, I think it's in about year five or six, where they're really looking for role models and, and who they want to be and who they are. And it obviously cuts deep to their core, wanting to know their own dad. So um, there were conversations I had to have to explain why their dad might not be on this particular cricket trip or something or and they were probably the toughest, but because we had this open door policy, Keith could connect any t- any afternoon of the week. Like, and Keith has done that. And because it's not set in stone, oh my god, he's got to be home at four o'clock on this. And I see that with divorces, like be back by four o'clock for the changeover. And I, I personally am so grateful that that's 
not how we operate. The, the flip side of that and the downside is you can never be organised. I've never had a weekend away with my girlfriends or I can never say to someone confidently I can come to dinner on that night. But now they're older, they can stay home. But in those early years, there was a lot of things I missed out on and had to sacrifice because I could never be sure that that was my weekend off. But I think, and I think this is the key uh, for, if I don't want to be giving advice to people, but Keith and I knew very strongly our strengths and weaknesses. Mine was the presence and the day-to-day routine, and he is great at fun, adventure, motivation. He's far more energetic than I am in that regard. So we knew our strengths. And you supported one another with We knew those the strengths. kids were better off with me during the week, week in and week out. He has them his beautiful one night um, a week. He makes that really special for them. The kids look forward to that. But he knows he's not going to be good with the homework and the setting up an office. And, and he knows that and he's kind enough and, and great enough to know that. At the same time, I know I'm not going to be getting up at 5am to swim around Wedding Cake Island. So good <laughs> on you for setting that alarm. Just don't wake me when you come in and get her. You know, like, so we know our own strengths. But also, I think, don't underestimate your generosity. And I know, Joe. I think there's a thought that you'd like to leave us with. I, there is. There is one thing that is going to sound so dorky, but has really helped me. I was in Byron Bay with the kids on my first holiday alone, which was scary enough. And I found a ring in the marketplace, just a cheap, daggy little gypsy ring. And it said, and it just blew me away. It said, life is the sum of your experiences, which sounds, you sort of go, what, what does that even mean? And that actually has helped me. So I'll put that ring on still every now and then when I'm feeling really weak and sad and, and sad about what I haven't achieved in life. Or And it just gave me this permission to say, do you know what? Life isn't about being this perfect family or being this amazing and getting this great job and being on this wonderful holiday and, and you know, all those things. Life is just the sum of your experiences. And if your experiences suck, they're still your life. Like that was just a really forgiving sentiment for me. It was like, oh, I can breathe. It's okay. Life is just that. That's enough. It doesn't have to be any more than that. That is enough. And that that is my journey. And that is enough. Joe, thank you. Thank you for sharing your beautiful life. And what a plan A life you have oh, carved plan a. out you for yourself. Plan a? It is plan A. I'm going to make it plan A. <laughs> Joke, you are oh. magnificent and glorious. Oh, thank you. And back at you, Jess. Let's bring in Lydia Black from Psych to You so we can go over a few issues raised about healthy co-parenting, noticing the red flags and how to parent in these tricky situations. Lydia, we have a lot to cover with this. What are some of the tips that parents could think about when it is a less than ideal co-parenting situation? Yeah, Jess, it's really hard, isn't it? Because obviously families have usually broken down because couples are not getting along. Look, I think the most important thing is to recognise that it's not easy. It's really not easy co-parenting, particularly when parents have separated and obviously there's been some animosity at some point or, um, you know, some some heartache. And so when people are hurt, they tend to act pretty defensively. And so when it comes to communicating in a co-parenting relationship, it's really important to remember that 
if you approach conversations in a defensive manner, you're probably going to create arguments and more heartache. Communication in co-parenting relationships um, is obviously exceptionally important, but it has to be done very respectfully. And that's not easy. That's not easy when emotions are involved. So I think the key thing is to take time when communicating in a co-parenting relationship, to take time and try not to be reactive when communicating. It's such good advice there. What about when things don't go to plan? When, you know, when your child doesn't want to see you anymore, how can you deal with that? Yeah, so communicating with children obviously is a whole nother tricky area. And, you know, for some kids, they, they roll with the punches really well. They handle, they handle the change, they handle the breakup and, and they adjust. For other kids, they find it really hard. And to remember, I think that for some kids, change takes time to get used to, particularly, you know, well, it depends, it depends on age group. I think there's usually a, a, a stage when kids are a little bit older, where they find it a bit harder to deal with new parents, step parents, new um, homes sometimes, new areas of living, all sorts of things come into it during a separation. And obviously it's different for different families. But I think to remember that kids need time to force a child to come to terms with a new um, arrangement is not going to work. And if a child is pushing you away, the most important thing that you can do is to be patient and to express your love no matter what, your unconditional love, no matter what that child is saying to you and no matter how much they're pushing you away. It might need to happen in a subtle way. You know, it could be a text message every now and then to that to that kid to say, thinking about you, hope your day's going well. Um, or it might be, you know, if you can, conversations, calling, having a phone call, um, could be sending them something in the mail if you're in a different home, you know. So just taking your time, being patient, letting them know that when they're ready, you'll be there for them no matter what. You talk about there the importance of being patient, taking your time. What about how can you preserve an open and honest relationship with your kids when your relationship with your ex-partner has disintegrated? I mean, I imagine it's not ideal to shield your kids from the reality of the situation, which can then impact them later in life. I think an amount of honesty, a certain amount of honesty is really important because kids pick up on stuff. Um, they, they know when there's animosity. They know when there's disagreements. They know when things aren't, aren't going well. And so rather than letting them to fret and worry, a bit of information is important. Um, and so, you know, being able to explain that sometimes adults don't get along and that's okay. The most important thing the child needs to know is that this is about the parents having a disagreement not about the child, because children tend to blame themselves. And how can you make sure, I suppose, that kids don't blame themselves? Oh, look, I think I really do think it's about saying it outright, you know, being able to say to them, mummy and daddy aren't getting along and, and this is about us, you know, we're disagreeing about all sorts of things like the dishwasher or how things are happening in the kitchen and in the backyard and, and there's all sorts of disagreements and sometimes you'll hear us arguing, that's okay, that's about us not getting along. Just like sometimes you don't get along with some of your friends who, who at one point you thought were the best, the best kids in the world. Parents sometimes argue and that's okay. Explaining to children that it's a normal part of adult relationships to have disagreements, sometimes those arguments are big and can't be solved, unfortunately. And sometimes, you know, we can we can figure stuff out. So honesty, openness, 
um, but not burdening our children. So not not talking to them about the problems in a way that they feel the need to fix it. So being able to say to them, yes, we're having some arguments, but that's for us to sort out. And I'm going to have a chat to daddy about it or mummy about it or how, you know, somebody else about it. Trying to make sure that the child is not taking the responsibility on their shoulders. What can you do to manage the anxiety or worry about the concern that your ex-partner is saying negative things about you, that the two of you are not getting on? Yeah, and, and this is such a common a common concern that I hear from families that I work with. And I think the most important thing to remember is that you can only control what you can control. And so a lot of anxiety and worry about what's being said by another parent is pretty it's pretty upsetting to, to, to think that, that the other parent is, is is speaking poorly. But you can't control that. And your worry and your anxiety might then impact how you parent or how you interact with your children. So it's really important to remember to control what you can control, to put your energy into being the parent that you would like to be when you have the kids or when you're around the kids so that they feel safe and they feel secure. Really important, obviously, as well, not to speak poorly about the other parent yourself. And so to try and keep things as neutral as possible when talking about the other parent. So you talk there about some ways that you can perhaps reduce your anxiety of when your kids are away and with your ex-partner, but how how can you really put that into practice? Because when your kids are not with you, not living under the same roof, you can still feel fearful perhaps about how your ex is parenting your child, especially if you're not on the same page with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is this is something that I come across all the time in my work. And it can be really hard for, for one parent if they believe the other parent is doing things in a way that they don't agree with. Obviously, if there's a safety issue and that's something to be dealt with legally and with child protection involved. But if it's about little things like maybe not getting enough veggies, not getting enough sleep when they're at mum's or dad's, um, you know, too much screen time. If it's those little things, I think it's a matter of figuring out, okay, what can I live with? What is okay for the sake of avoiding disharmony? As in, is this really going to harm my kid or is it just not what I would do? And if it's just not what you would do, then maybe it's a matter of letting that go. Once again, got some wonderful advice for us. Thank you so much and we will speak with you again soon. No problem. Thanks, Jess. That's it for this episode of the new series of Navigating Parenthood, Imperfect Parents. All the episodes are available now on your favourite podcast platform. It's a series filled with great people and their stories of parenting, the challenges and joys along the way. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate and review. It also helps others find the podcast. We're also adding more information and useful links at hcf.com.au forward slash podcast. Remember, if you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 
there's always help out there. Head to Reach Out Parents at parents.au.reachout.com or find excellent help with HCF's partner, Psych2U, an online telehealth psychological service for HCF members and all Australians at psych2u.com.au. And if you need help managing your children's big feelings, HCF's partner, Calm Kids Central, is an online educational resource for kids age 4 to 11 that includes courses, videos and animations to help your kids act bravely and manage tough life situations at calmkidcentral.com. I'm Jessica Rowe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>